What we found is the best way to think of it is that soft skills for us, work ethic, if you will, is not one skill, it's a set of seven skills. This is The Power of Career Connected Learning with Hans Meter. This podcast is for education leaders who are working on the front lines of change. In this series, Hans Meter, president of the National Center for College and Career Transitions, interviews thought leaders and expert practitioners from across the United States, unlocking their secrets of success. Here's your host, Hans Meter. Welcome to the power of career-connected learning. I'm your host, Hans Meter. Employers often tell us that today's young adults entering the job market don't have the right work ethic and employability skills to be successful in the workplace. Today, I'm going to be talking with Josh Davies, the Chief Executive Officer of the Center for Work Ethic Development. Josh is passionate about helping others make a difference in their lives, jobs, and communities. Through his work as a speaker and trainer, he has engaged and encouraged professionals across North America, the Middle East, and Asia. Josh is currently the CEO of the Center for Work Ethic Development, an organization committed to developing workplace skills in the global workforce. We've included his bio in the show notes for this episode. Well, hey, Josh, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. uh, It's great to be here. Yeah, this is we're, we're virtually here, I guess, as the case may be, right? But close enough, right? Yeah. I remember the first time I saw you, uh, you were on stage at the National Career Pathways Network Conference about two years ago. Mm-hmm. I was really impressed with uh, your presentation and all the great things that your organization is doing. And then about a year ago at the ACT uh, workforce conference in Charlotte, we both gave a TED style talk. Yep. So that, that was really, really fun. Um, of course, those days seem to be long gone. So le- before we get into all the specifics of what you do and your message, how have you know, you've given, you know, enormous numbers of keynotes and very effective presenter. How have you pivoted and adapted to this virtual world of COVID? Well, you know, it's um, it's interesting. It feels like both yesterday and years ago, right, that we were in this sort of pre-COVID world. Uh, I, you know, what I try and tell people amongst other things is that somehow uh, 2020 has broken the space-time continuum. Like the sense of what time is has totally just gotten out of whack. It's both fast and slow. It's just weird uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, we, uh, the organization here at the Center for Work Ethic Development, um, we pivoted in some different ways. Um, one of the big things that we do as an organization is help uh, support other organizations in teaching these foundational workplace soft skills uh, through our program called Bring Your A Game. And what we were able to, hold on, it's, uh, it's on the screen over here, Bring Your A Game, right? Um, yeah. And um, what we were able to do as we pivoted, we were able to create Bring Your A Game Anywhere, uh, <laughs> Bring Your A Game Anywhere, etc. It's an online version. Uh, basically, what we did is we, uh, we did one of the things we said we would never do because that's what you do when you pivot, right? You're like, oh, there's no way we would ever put together a online version of our curriculum. That's just mm-hmm. not what we do. And here we are. It's a 10-module <laughs> 10 e-learning course yeah. um, that we put in. So our organizations who are either having to go entirely virtual or do some mm-hmm. sort of hybrid mm-hmm. have an option um, of, of what to do. Um, personally, uh, you know, my days used to be spent 
uh, traveling around, going to different conferences, uh, like a couple that you mentioned, um, as well as doing training sessions or other consulting pieces with uh, some of our partners or other co folks around the country. Um, needless to say, I, I haven't been on a plane uh, since March 13th. Um, <laughs> I left the state for the first time a couple weeks ago in, uh, we drove to uh, Nebraska here from Colorado uh, to go see family. That's been that's sort of the extent of it. So we've been doing a lot of virtual work, um, virtual conferences, trying to figure out what's the best way to continue to spread the message and do the work that we do mm -hmm. um, when you're not face to face. We're still working on what the best approach is, but we've got great people out there, great partners who are doing some stuff. And so we're still supporting them, just doing it in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think this has forced a, a level of creativity among all of us uh, that it's, we weren't expecting, but uh, you know, in the long run, I think we'll have learned a lot from it and hopefully we'll be better at whatever we do, virtual or in person. Yeah. I, if nothing else, the, the adaptability, if we can all sort of just keep that skill, right. I think that's going to be a powerful, powerful addition to everyone's quivers. Right, right. Um, so you have a really interesting biography and background. Tell me how you got uh, from the the hospitality industry. Is that right? <laughs> yep. And how yep. you got into the work you're doing now in the Center for Work Ethic Development. Well, it's sort of twofold. One, um, I had a great career. I love the hospitality industry. It's it's awesome people. Um, really fun. Great. You get to help people every day. It's really it's, it's powerful. But I wanted to do something with a little bit more. Uh, social meaning to it, a little bit more give back, if you will. And um, so I'd left there. At the same time, I realized one of the key things that helps people is getting and keeping a job. What I love about the hospitality industry is it was truly one of these places that you didn't have to have some advanced degree to get in and to make something of yourself. You can start as a dishwasher and work your way up to become the president of a hospitality company. And you see that over and over again with different organizations. And if you're willing to put in the effort and the time and the development, you can do it. And uh, so I've really understood that role that soft skills played and kind of this, you know, doesn't have to be formal education all the time. And um, about the same time as I was leaving there, a guy who had written a book who's from here in the Denver area, a guy named Eric Chester, um, wrote a book called Bring Your A-Game to Work. And he said, um, hey, look, we're trying to do something with this. Take it, make it more than it is. Uh, would you be interested in coming and uh, running the company? Hmm. I was like, um, <laughs> I'm sure. When, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? Uh, let's try this. And um, so we took Bring Your A Game, created the Center for Work Ethic Development, um, created uh, different versions, a youth version of the curriculum, adult version of the curriculum, and just kind of grew it from there. Um, and that was 2011. So Wow. Um, wow. I, have, I actually have one of those copies of the book that Eric wrote uh, on my shelf. And I remember seeing, I like, oh, wait, this is oh. babies. Okay, now I'm getting it. Right. <laughs> that's how um, it all fits together. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So tell us about the Center for Work Ethic Development. What, what do you actually do uh, with the organization? What kind of services do you provide? So we primarily are providers of a curriculum and certification um, around those foundational soft skills. Um, what we do then is also build on the research around soft skills, soft skills development, not by doing a lot ourselves, but really becoming a clearinghouse where people can come and find out more information. Um, and so in that regard, we do some consulting work um, just to help people with that space. Um, but really it's tied around helping people integrate our curriculum into whatever program they're doing. Um, whether or not that's the middle school, high school level, post-secondary, workforce centers. Um, you know, we'll partner with 
pretty much anyone everywhere, correctional facilities where they're trying to help uh, folks get back into society with the skills they need in order to not end up back there. Um, military organizations who are helping people then get, um, you know, credentialed and get employment outside in the civilian sector. Um, and we've been really fortunate. We work with more than 750 organizations. Um, we're now in all 50 states. Um, we're doing work in six foreign countries. Um, you know, we're working on a project right now with a grant to do some training um, in Iraq. There's just all sorts of crazy wow. things that are happening. Wow. Um, but one of the things that hasn't really been surprising is that this conversation around soft skills, work ethic, workplace readiness um, has only been getting louder. Mm-hmm. And so that's been exciting. Um, and we hear that across all the partners that we work with. Yeah. Now, I've done dozens of different employer focus groups, and often when you say, what do you need from an employee, the first thing you'll, you'll hear is, well, we just need someone to show up on time and look me in the eye and shake my hand, and we'll train them to do the rest. And I always think, yeah, I think, I think you want something a little bit more than that. So how would you describe the mix of employability skills that employers are really looking for? Um, well, it's, it's interesting when you, you talk about it from that perspective, because again, that's what they'll say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got a lot of interesting research around that. But then what's great is you do then any sort of analysis where you're like, all right, so here are three different candidates' resumes. Mm-hmm. Who will you interview? Oh, I wouldn't even interview that one, right? Well, you just said all you need is someone who's going to show up, but you won't even talk to this person. Right. Um, so it's really, right, it can't be an either or conversation. It really has to be this sort of and you know, this mix of different elements that are in there. Um, what we are seeing more and more is that employers are telling us education is important, but is becoming a price of entry. So as we look at those academic skills, we know we need to develop them. We need to have them. And the same with some of these basic technical skills. Um, but without the soft skills, you're not going to get that hiring in that piece. Um, you know, there's interesting, again, data points that are out there. One of the ones we look at the uh, a study done by Harvard University um, almost 100 years ago um, that showed that 85% of a person's success at work was driven by soft skills and people skills. Wow. Um, great for 100 years ago. Stanford Research recently recreated the study, found that number had changed. Not at all. Okay. It was still <laughs> exactly the same. Wow. Um, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a mix um, in that space. I think it depends on exactly which career field, but there's got to be a balance. And I think that's important because, you know, no one's going to find a magic number like, mm-hmm. oh, it has to be exactly this. Everyone's going to be a little different. Mm-hmm. But what's important for educators, students and employers to keep in mind is that, again, it's this and strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an either or. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we we uh, realized we needed to walk our own talk. Um, by changing some of our entrance requirements for our positions. And we decided to stop asking for a four-year degree, ask for a two-year degree, but really looking at experience. And then some of the new uh, job search uh, sites have some nice built-in tools to see attention to detail and writing skills. So those are really the things that we're screening for, not just a basic degree credential. Yeah. And, I, you know, you see more and more of that. Um, you know, places like that, I'm not plugging them, but like LinkedIn are now doing more and more of those kinds of assessment tools. Mm-hmm. Um, I in back in, you know, before some of these fancy things, I had my own um, attention to detail mm-hmm. um, assessment that I did. I would always just put in the description for the position, um, include cover letter. Mm-hmm. 
And any uh, application that came through, no matter how good it was that didn't have a cover letter on it, you mm-hmm. can instantly throw out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not even going to pay attention to that sort of piece in a, uh, in a job posting. So it, whatever approach you use, the assessment of those things are becoming more and more important. Okay. Well, give us the overview of how the A-game works. Uh, so what it really it boils down to, and again, um, as with everything in learning, you know this as well as anybody, right? It has to be not just powerful but it has to be easy to remember, right? And so that's mm-hmm. one of the key things. And there's lots of different assessments that are out there in different ways and different tools. What we found is the best way to think of it is that soft skills for us, work ethic, if you will, mm-hmm. is not one skill. Mm-hmm. It's a set of seven skills. Okay. And they all happen to be alliterated with the letter A, mm-hmm. right? Um, attitude, right? You want to make sure that people come with a positive attitude every single day. Attendance, that is still an important piece, uh, you know, every day, all the time. Um, Appearance, not just in kind of what you wear, but how you hold yourself, how you communicate. I mean, that's particularly powerful in this era of, you know, electronic communication. How do you well, do you communicate when people can't even see you? Yeah. Um, ambition, not that you need to be, you know, the head of the company, but what do you need to do to do more than the minimum, right? <laughs> more often than not, we have that. Yeah. I, and I think I, about ambition as being your best, being the best you can be. Yeah, what you do every day to do that um, in order to kind of keep that lifelong learning as well. Right. Um, one of the other ones that, you know, we found in there was appreciation, right? You have to have appreciation of the people that you work with, work for, um, and that gratitude is really powerful. Um, but also acceptance. And um, acceptance has really evolved as we look at kind of how we both describe it and uh, how people can apply it. Acceptance was accepting of the rules and, you know, your coworkers, but it's become more and more important to accept Right, this idea of you know diversity and understanding of that, um, and that same principle of acceptance, we just apply it differently. Mm. Is a very powerful. Mm. Um, and the last day, of course, um, is accountability. Mm. Right, to do what you say you're going to do, and not just talk about the other six, but live them on a regular basis. Yeah, and that's bring your A game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you already said you work with a lot of different types of organizations. Mm-hmm. How does your approach to bring the A-game change depending on whether you're working with a school or a prison or a workforce program? Yeah. Well, one of the key things that we found um, that we needed to do uh, based on, again, on trial and error, as with many great things in this world, right? Uh, You know, you're like, oh, no, this would be perfect. No, it is not perfect at all. Um, One of the things that we found was that we couldn't have something that is monolithic. You couldn't have just a, hey, here's a take this and have all of your students go through this. Um, because even within a particular school, right, you may have different classes. You want to bring this into a career tech ed program. You want to bring this into a leadership program. You want to do this for all of your students. It's going to be different. It's going to look different. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we needed to do was create a modular piece. And so the way our curriculum works is it's 65 different uh, lessons, mm-hmm. and each one of them is a standalone piece. And so what we help people do then is figure out which pieces they want to put together and how they want it to look. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, we believe one size fits one. Mm. Uh, and so that allows people to then also be flexible about how much time they want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of our schools, uh, they'll dedicate, for instance, w- one day a week um, of work ethic Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And so they'll do once a week, every day for the semester. And you work through that way and you get, you know, 26 of the 65 lesson plans. Mm-hmm. Some of our workforce centers need to do it in a workshop model and they'll combine them. And they'll do a half day or they'll do oftentimes it's like a pre-apprenticeship program. I mean, you know how important work-based learning is, right? Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
No. Right. Um, as part of a pre-apprenticeship or other piece, right? They'll do it as a maybe two hours a day for four or five days before it's kind of a pre-assessment, pre-training before mm-hmm. going to a site or, or doing those kinds of things. Um, you know, not everybody has time. The whole curriculum, if you put all of it together, um, is almost 70 hours. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not everybody has that time. Okay. On the flip side, correctional facilities love to use all 70 hours because they have nothing but time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Take that a little further. Uh, when you work with a school or college or community, what are the factors that you think play into a success where this actually makes an impact on whatever students that, that you're working with? Yeah. Um, I, there, there's two factors that come first to mind and they're not unique to developing soft skills or work ethic, um, but it's buy-in mm-hmm. and modeling. Those are, those are the two. Um, you know, you need to make sure that you've got buy-in, in particular buy-in from multiple different places, um, not just the school, mm-hmm. right? You want to make sure you get buy-in from the business partners that you're working with, right? If you're working with folks in, you know, doing internships or work-based learning or, right, you need to make sure you get it through them. Um, do we have parental buy-in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have, um, you know, if the school is aligned with a community college or someone else, do, is there, you know, stackable um, elements in there? Can it work with, do you have buy-in from those folks? Mm-hmm. Do we have buy-in from administrators as well as teachers, mm-hmm. academic as well as career and tech education, right? Mm-hmm. It, there has to not just be buy-in from one place, but all of those. Yeah. But then probably the most powerful is modeling. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's one of sometimes the side effects of the training that we do that people don't talk about what they love is for instance, when we go in and do a train the trainer session for educators mm-hmm. about how to teach the curriculum and a reminder, you know, and here are the seven skills you're going to teach them. And people are like, I'm not sure everyone here does those seven <laughs> things all the time. And so it's a great reminder without having to, you know, be a, a slap in the face of kind of what are, what is it? So without the buy-in and the modeling, I don't care how great the teacher is. I don't care how great the curriculum is. Mm-hmm it's not going to be successful in developing yeah. these skills. Think about another uh, faux pas that we are all guilty of is, is inappropriate use of our devices. <laughs> and, uh, so what, where does that fall within the seven A's? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just, I lost myself here briefly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would, uh, we're, we put digital device management in appearance. Appearance. Uh, Cause it, yeah. it's really in that same sort of category. Um, it's it's almost there with personal hygiene these days, right? Where it, it's just one of these things that is a oftentimes just a, an absolute deal killer in terms of people's perception of you, mm-hmm. um, right? And so it is just as important as everything else in that space and, and how you present, right? Um, the key thing with that to me is with everything else in terms of teaching soft skills and um, just kind of the work ethic in general, mm-hmm. we have a really critical idea philosophy around that is that people don't learn and adapt those skills and create long lasting behavior change by pointing fingers at them. They don't get it by telling them no or penalizing them. Mm -hmm. Instead, the what works is having them understand why it's important. Mm -hmm. And that discovery process and that uncovering and that where you're like, aha, and they, right. They see why. When students get that, that's what makes a difference, right? When they have that context, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's not like you shouldn't be talking on your phone. You shouldn't be looking at your phone. Right. Instead, it's a whole piece around 
So if you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden in the middle of it, they grab their phone, what does that feel like? Mm-hmm. What do you think is more, more important, you or the phone? Mm-hmm. And having those conversations and letting people uncover that on themselves. Oh, yeah, it does. I'd never even thought about that before. Mm-hmm. And you start to see those kinds of things happen. And so um, yeah, I think it's really important for a lot of people to discover that. Because if we just say, you know, stay off your phones and like, okay, no one can see me. I'm, 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 <laughs> that's right. All right it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not that no one can see you. That, that's not the important part, right? Yeah. So with employability skills, I mean, one of the biggest challenges that, um, you know, you talked about the, the, vo- the volume is getting louder. Um, but schools still seem to be driven very much by academic standards and you got to teach the curriculum, you got to teach the standards. How do you start to see that mindset shift? And I I think honestly, the, the school leaders have to, have to own it so much that they're willing to kind of push, you know, swim against the tide. But, but what are you seeing in terms of particularly the schools that you work with? Well, definitely we're seeing the tide begin to turn right Mm -hmm. where it starts to shift. You know, and, and it's like many things. When you realize the impact that these skills have on not employability, but academics, mm-hmm. right? When you see, like we talk about accountability, attendance, <laughs> ambition, right? It's all the stuff that we know makes students successful in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And when, you know, some of the most successful schools that we work with don't treat it as something that is separate, right? It's not like, oh, you go to a class on this, but they integrate it into more of what they do. Okay. That, that, that's when you really start to see it. And if, you know, if there's a key to any of this, I think it's that idea again of contextualization. How does it make meaning? Right? Where does it fit in? And instead of trying to think of it as something separate, how do you blend it into academia? Right? How do we blend it into those classrooms? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can be as simplistic as using a book like Bring Your A Game to Work as a literature piece for your English class mm-hmm. <laughs> and writing an essay around that. Yeah. Nothing against classical literature, nothing against non, you know, fiction literature, but it's just another way integrated in without even having to change anything. You just use a different textbook um, as your frame of reference. Yeah. So those little things I think can make a big difference. Okay. Let's take a quick break to hear from the sponsor of today's show. This episode of The Power of Career Connected Learning is sponsored by Career Smart Classrooms. If you're looking for an effective way to bring career connected learning to more students in your school, college, or adult education program, Career Smart Classrooms may be the solution you are looking for. Career Smart Classroom is a new suite of learning resources that can help any educator easily incorporate career content and workplace skills into their classroom. The Career Smart Classroom system offers a comprehensive set of resources, including career information sheets, lesson plans, and activity plans. Career Smart is organized into five sections an overview of career connected learning issues and trends, career focus kits that link careers to academic and technical courses offered in high school and college, classroom activities to help students explore career options, activities to develop student workplace skills, and teacher think tanks professional learning activities to help instructors learn and think through career-related issues together. 
The best news is that Career Smart Classrooms helps educators demonstrate the career relevance of their curriculum to increase student engagement. To find out more, visit careersmartclassrooms.com. You can download a free sample of resources and also sign up for our free webinar. Welcome back. I'm Hans Meter, and this is The Power of Career-Connected Learning. Today we're speaking with Josh Davies from the Center for Work Ethic Development. Are there, is there any research that says that what we call employability skills, which I, I totally get what you're saying, that those are really about student success skills. Yeah. But is there any, any research that correlates when you, when you focus on employability skills, you also become a better student? There's research that proves that people who have higher employability skills, work ethic, grit, mm-hmm. non-cognitive skills, uh, have better outcomes, Okay, have better student outcomes. That's definitely there. Okay. Um, you know, you look at stuff, uh, one of the studies that I reference, uh, students in the lowest quartile of those skills, mm-hmm. um, you look at their graduation rates, they're under 80%. You look at those in the top quartile, they're like 99. Right? When you just kind of compare those things, and again, intuitively it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, does teaching those skills lead to better outcomes? I we don't have that side of it. Well, we just, you know, students who do have them on the, on the backside right. do definitely produce better outcomes. Yeah. Does your curriculum or is there a way to assess for employability skills? Uh, and I, I think about a typical test that just gives some scenarios and pick A, B, or C. You probably can pick the right answer. But how do you actually determine that the student has gotten it and they're starting to live the, the, the work ethic? Yeah. So, um, so it's interesting you say that. I, one of the things we have, you know, we do an assessment in terms of, you know, a, a knowledge assessment, mm-hmm. sort of a, a standard level two piece where, um, you know, students take it. And that's part of our certification program that we use at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is funny about that, um, about kind of your, your thought around that is you're not, you're not alone. People just be able to pick the right answer, right? It's not that hard. It's common sense stuff. Um, we were working with a, a school in Ohio and, uh, well, even before we started working with them, um, one of the administrators from the school had worked with us and was like, hey, I want to um, maybe do this as a pilot program for some particular students in this program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what can we do? Um, you know, we want to do, you know, see growth for the whole thing. And so let's do a pre and post test. So um, I gave her the pre-test that we do and it's a 20 question piece and, she, you know, she aced it. And she's like, this really isn't, I don't think this is going to really help us at all. I'm like, have your students take it mm-hmm. and see what they do. Mm-hmm. And like the next day, she's like, none of them got over 50%. Oh, wow. <laughs> Again, we, we make assumptions, uh, you know, around those things. She's yeah. like, we need, we apparently need to do more work on this than we thought. Yeah. Um, what we've seen uh, some of our other organizations do is they take it to the next level. Um, and again, this applies in particular to work-based learning or internship programs, uh, those kinds of things. Um, they have, for their students who do those programs every week, the employers have to do an assessment of the students who are there mm-hmm. um, and they grade them in each of the seven A's. Mm-hmm. They give the definition of what the A and then they grade them each of those pieces. So you really get to see and measure how well they're doing those things on the job, which is kind of that next sort of level three evaluation um, that mm-hmm. you see in some different places. So, you know, there's a lot of ways, but the key to it all is clearly defining what the expectations and outcomes are. Okay. And I would argue that has been one of the biggest problems with the development of employability skills, work ethic skills, soft skills, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why they're soft is we don't really clearly define them. Mm-hmm. Right? I just need you to have a better attitude, Hans. 
What does that mean? <laughs> How do you know I don't have a good yeah. attitude, right? <laughs> and so you need to explain, right? So our definition, simply put, right, is uh, attitudes having a positive attitude every day. Uh, to, uh, take control of your emotions. Mm-hmm. Right? How do I know you're having? You're not having a good attitude because you had something bad happen to you this morning, and you're letting it ruin your whole day. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're not using that skill of attitude because you're not controlling. Your emotions are letting them control you and still be upset about it. Mm-hmm. How do we clearly define what the expectation is, right? You're not being positive about the situation. You're just assuming everybody's in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Let's take a different look at it, right? Again, using that definition of what account, uh, what uh, attitude is about and applying it rather than just telling you, I think you need to have a better attitude tomorrow. Yeah, that's great. And I know a lot of career tech programs uh, do kind of integrate uh, an employability skills assessment, not, not something the students take, but the teacher grades them on those employability yep. skills as part of their grade. Of a grade, yep. A part. Yep. It's about 25% from what I've seen. Oftentimes. Even some, some, some entire school districts have moved to a model where um, all their students, regardless of CTE programs or others, mm-hmm. one portion of the grade um, – again, it's up to a quarter sometimes, usually it's around 10%, is around work ethic or other sort of employability or soft skills. Yeah, that's great. Um, Of course, the problem then is a lot of those programs is then they don't give any sort of actual criteria for that grade is, and then every teacher just sort of has their own assessment. Yeah. (laughs) But that's a whole different, that's a different educational story for another day. Right. Tell me about some of the high flyers. Who are the flagship either schools or colleges or other programs that you point to when, when you, when people ask you who's doing this really well? Um, I would say for sure. One of them, um, you know, Toledo public schools, hmm. um, in Ohio, um, their middle school program, they're using it for all of their students, mm-hmm. um, over, uh, both seventh and eighth grade years. Um, it's really, it's been awesome. And what's great is they've also adopted it then, at other places throughout the community, okay. uh, which has been really cool yeah. um, there in Toledo. So it's not just the, in the public school system. Um, they have uh, private employers in the community who are using it as part of their training programs. They've got community colleges, they've got um, the workforce centers, they've got the community-based um, nonprofit groups who are doing job training and they're all speaking mm-hmm. the same language. Wow. Yeah. And it's really, you know, again, that's that powerful piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you look at there, um, you know, some of the ones that we look at who have done some really cool things, um, in particular, like the Amarillo Independent School District in mm-hmm. Texas um, has also done some cool stuff and really also been a really key adapter of bringing in the online version mm-hmm. as they've been forced to go to different models and try and figure out what kind of works as a, you know, they're then using it with their students um, in that regard, mm-hmm. um, which has been pretty cool. Um, Rankin Tech, which is a... Um, technical college uh, in the St. Louis area okay. um, is also implementing it with their programs. Um, they've always been sort of a hybrid school. They've done more half online classroom, um, half in-person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're using both the in-person and the online piece. But it, again, they see the value of this in, in particular for their graduates who are typically going you know, directly into a workplace environment that yeah. these are their as important, right. As the technical skills they are learning in the school. So, you know, Lots of really cool people who are out there, um, you know, doing great work. The key again for all of them, buy-in mm-hmm. and modeling. Yeah. Um, you know, and the more you have those two things, the more successful you're going to be. Yeah. So when you are giving training and what kind of uh, questions or misperceptions 
do some people have when they hear about a work ethic curriculum? Um, two, probably the, uh, the two key ones, right? Number one, um, that work ethic is just about working as many hours as you can, as often as you can. And that's what work ethic is all about, mm. right? As if, you know, the more face time you put in, the more hours you're there, the more work ethic you have. And that may be true, mm -hmm. but the reality is um, that's not what employers are looking for. <laughs> employers are looking for a lot of other things other than just attendance. Um, and so that's going to be number one. Plus we already know there's somebody you've worked with in your past, right? Again, who's the first person in the door, the last one to leave and the least productive person during those hours, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, just because you're there putting in time does not make you necessarily the most effective person in the world. Um, and the second question around developing work ethic, I oftentimes get when I tell people, uh, you know, at events or other things, kind of what we do and we're helping develop work ethic. And they're like, oh, so do you work with like five-year-olds or four-year-olds? <laughs> this idea that, <laughs> that older yeah. youth and adults cannot learn these skills, right? That work ethic is only something uh, that you can develop for younger people. Okay. After um, eight years old, it's over. The game. Yeah, you know, you're done. You're, you're baked. You're out of the oven. You're done. Okay. Um, and the reality is that, you know, maybe a mindset may be developed by that age, but the skills, right? If you think of them as skills, just like anything else mm -hmm. can be developed at any age. Yeah. I'd love to see um, the curriculum in action. Is there much in the way of role playing going on where you, in terms of part of the curriculum? Not a ton of role playing. Um, cause I think the challenge with role-playing in this space is that it feels fake. Mm -hmm. Um, but what we really instead rely on is a lot of peer-to-peer -peer learning and dialogue okay. kind of in that same place, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's still achieving the same purpose of a role-play, but instead people are talking about real life experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, because one of the things that people need to realize is they're not always just one right answer. Mm -hmm. Um, and hearing it from a peer or being like, well, here's what I did, or here's what I saw, here's what I learned. Um, can be as if not more powerful than any other sort of learning technique. Oh yeah. I wanted to ask you about <laughs> when you've got a, a program that, you know, again, think about middle school, high school mostly, mm -hmm. but who are some of the community partners that it's valuable to have working with the program? Um, yeah, I, I think it's awesome to kind of use that junior achievement model mm -hmm. where you have local business partners, mm -hmm. um, you know, come in and, uh, and, and have as partners. And I think partner truly in the sense where it's not um, a traditional sort of educational partnership where the partnership is, when can I get your check? Mm -hmm. But truly an educational partnership where they're coming in and they're participating. Um, you know, we worked with a group of um, a high school in um, Lake County, Illinois, and um, they found, they used our curriculum, let's plug for them and what they do. Um, what was they loved about it is they did a cohort, they did co-training. And so it was an after-school program and they would have students come in after school and it would be taught co-trained by a teacher and someone from the businesses in the community. And the two of them would co-train a course together mm -hmm. to kind of talk about how this was important in the real world. It wasn't just school and really had the buy-in then from the students, but also then from these local business partners. And I think that's really you know, kind of a, a critical piece as well. Yeah. Um, it goes without saying parents. <laughs> I mean, right? we've, got, we've got to get parents on the bandwagon. The good news about work ethic training is there's not a single parent we've ever interacted with who's like, you know, I don't think that's important. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll just let that one slide today. Um, so it's really, the, that part of it has been, um, I think it's 
easy to get, even if you can just say, hey, you know, we're integrating this, um, you know, called bring your A game from the Center for Work Ethic Development, or even just say, hey, we're working on, you know, employability skills. So tell me, you know, we, we focus on helping schools and, and colleges uh, implement college and career pathways, but we use a pretty broad approach to that. And we really do talk about identifying the career and life readiness attributes and skills that you want your young people to have, and then building all your pathway programs and your career exploration, mm-hmm. uh, your, your work-based learning, building all that around yep. developing those. Now, are there any uh, colleges and school districts that you're working with that you think are trying to bring that approach to all students? Um, in talk or in action? <laughs> well, somewhere in between, right? <laughs> um, you never completely. Nip. You know, I, I think I'll, I'll say this. I think more and more um, school districts are moving to that model, mm-hmm. um, which is good. Um, you know, even just the, using the, the term differently, right? Um, because really for the last 20 years, what has our goal been? We got to get students college ready. We got to get students college ready. We got to get students college ready. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Um, but even just calling it that then creates this sort of negative stigma around not going. Right. And what does college mean? Does that mean four-year university? Does that mean two-year? Does that mean a post? Right? What is it? And so it creates all these different mm-hmm. just sort of different – confusions to it mm-hmm. and different values and different uh, assessments of that. And so I think really moving towards, you know, college and career readiness or college and life readiness, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever those kinds of things are, we're seeing more and more institutions, school districts and other folks move more in that direction uh, because it's more realistic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and very clearly the, these work ethic um, attributes you're talking about, you can't succeed in college if you if you don't have those. So if they all they all they fit in all parts of your life. Yeah, no question. Um, yeah, again, it's not, it's not just about work. It's definitely yeah. an academic component. Yeah. Um, okay, I think we have just buzzed through a lot of the stuff. <laughs> so let me ask a couple couple big picture things as we finish up. And we're getting. We're, we kind of touched on this already, but just the idea that American education has been one thing, college readiness, academic readiness, and, and the tide is turning, but where do you think we are? Uh, and what is it going to take to get to almost you know, the tipping point of where we really do embrace the whole child, the whole person of uh, being college career and life ready? Oh, both a practical and existential question all at the same time. Um, I would say we're still on the college academic side of the midpoint, uh-huh. but not by much. Okay. Um, I think what it will take to get to the other side, um, I, I think truly it's going to get, it's going to take getting us, um, um, for like, it's almost going to take another crisis. Um, and, yeah, well, and I think, unfortunately, <laughs> the problem with these kind of crises is that, that the one that's going to happen next is not going to be a, a single event. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's going to be one of the things, again, that I, I see coming and I talk about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the changing nature of work in America. Right. 
um, and a changing nature of the skills that are going to be needed to be successful in the future and the elimination of a lot of jobs that require zero skill. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's going to end up happening is we're going to have create through the fault of our system, right? An entire underclass of citizens who have no marketable job skills mm. and no jobs available. Mm -hmm. And how do we handle that? <laughs> what do we do? Yeah. And, and I think the reality is that even, even, I mean, the, the futurists have, you know, there's some that say that millions and millions of jobs are going to completely disappear mm -hmm. or, that millions and millions of jobs are going to be dram dramatically shifted through technology and automation and AI. Mm -hmm. And so either way you could, you know, if you have people that aren't ready for that, there's going to be massive underclass stuck. Yeah. So, yeah you have, yeah. we have to be moving, really thinking about that and figuring it out. How, what are, what are the skills that, that you need to be successful? Yeah. In that right. And it's not going to be, you know, it's not about sending everyone to coding school. Mm-hmm. Right, that's not the answer, right? But what are the skills that we know we can develop that will be useful in the future, right? It's things like critical thinking, problem solving, mm -hmm. um, you know, those kinds of skills. How do we how, quantify them? How do we certify them? How do we measure them, right? I mean, how do we badge them or whatever that looks like? How do we help develop those skills? Mm -hmm. um, and again, I won't say that we're not doing that in our system, mm -hmm. but it's not intentional yeah. and we're not putting the same sort of focus on it that we need to in that certainly doesn't put it in equal paths to the academic side. Yeah. As I said earlier, our podcast is aimed at education leaders who are out there on yep. the front lines. Um, and that's a tough, tough work uh, of leading Especially a school or an organization. Oh yeah. Now you're doing it all virtually. As if it wasn't hard enough before. No. So, so what are some lessons that you've learned in your career and your life around leadership that you think would be applicable to our education leaders? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, some key things. Number one, um, we so often are driven by our fear of failure mm. that we don't, we don't try. Um, and we're just, we'll keep the safe road all the time. And we'll just kind of stay where we are. We won't do that. We don't want to upset this apple cart. And I think that fear of failure mm. forces people to make poor leadership decisions. Um, or not, allows people <laughs> and uh, comforts them in making poor decisions um, because they, you know, they don't want to upset other people or they don't want to be, they don't want to fail. Um, and then people don't learn from that failure. When that happens, um, they feel like it's somehow it's defining on them that they are a failure um, or that they let this one experience be something awful. And instead, try and figure out what you can do to learn and grow from it. Because almost everybody who's been successful in their world can point to at least one, if not multiple failures that taught them the lessons, the skills in order to get that success. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think that's really important for people to remember um, as they're there. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing I think is really important as a leader. Um, I'll just do two. I can, you know, I, shoot, I, I can speak on leadership for days, but um, I think it's this, we oftentimes try and do everything. And I see this um, in a lot of different ways, but people, you know, need to have control of this that are find the people who are good at what they do mm -hmm. and let them do it. Um, you know, you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. You just need to know who they are. Mm -hmm. 
and be able to tap into everyone there. I mean, I see so many organizations, instead of partnering with the existing group in your community that does that, mm-hmm. say, no, no, we want to control it. We want to be able to do it ourselves. Well, create those partnerships. Find, find who does it well and work with them. You, there's a reason why they do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, really important for people to realize. And you do that both in terms of developing your own leadership team within your school, um, but who are the partners you choose to align with in your community? Yeah. Right. Where well, are you weak and find the folks that do it well and partner with them and get together with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, great conversation, Josh, very good <laughs> insights. And uh, I know we really benefit from your, your passion, your expertise, uh, and just giving us a deeper perspective on, on the work that you and your colleagues do. So thank you so much. And more importantly, thank you for the work that you do as well. Um, Again, I think one of the important things for all of us in our space is how do we work together, right? And, uh, you know, thank you in that regard for reaching out to me and others in this space because, you know, the work we do overlaps some, but mostly it's an opportunity for us to share our expertise with each other and help our partners, to help our clients, to help our communities um, as we work together. Um, And I know the work that you do is powerful in that space. So thank you for what you do and thank you for having me be part of your family. Um, it's, uh, It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks again, Josh. You can check out the show notes for this podcast at the NC3T website, nc3t.com backslash podcast. And we'll provide links so you can get more information about Josh and the Center for Work Ethic Development. Also, I want to thank those of you that share this on social media. Make sure to use the hashtag PowerCCL so we can see what you're posting. And if you're getting something out of this podcast, please subscribe so you'll get each podcast delivered to you. And would you rate us and write a review wherever you consume the content and also download the podcast? Any of these actions helps create better exposure for the show. And as we close this program, remember, let's keep our eyes on the goal, helping every young person to pursue a vibrant life and a meaningful career through the power of career-connected learning. Thank you.